Good morning, good afternoon and good evening from wherever and whenever you're listening to. This is the Parapety of Theatre podcast, Flipping the Script, with today's guest, Juliet Dalder. Juliet, great to have you here. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Enjoying the weather, so feeling good. Making the most of fab British sunshine while it lasts. Yes. <laughs> Who knows, when we release this, probably the sunshine's all gone away. Uh, but oh, don't say that, please. I know, hopefully. <laughs> How are you? Uh, I'm very well, thank you. Had a nice chilled morning, mm-hmm. done some work, done a bit of meditation, so I'm feeling very relaxed. Oh, sounds and, great. I know. I'm very excited to have a conversation with you here today. Good. <laughs> so, Juliet, what are you in terms of the industry? Are you an actor? Are you a writer? Are you a bit of both? I'd say I'm an actor first, mm. and um, writing for me came second. And I wouldn't say like it, it is second, but um, that yeah. didn't come into my life till later on. Um, but yeah, I would say I'm a writer too. I, I like to say that. I think everyone likes a bit of writing. It, it, it's good for the brain. Exactly. And I think in, in, in any, if anything, it's also made me a more kind of as an actor, understand the writer's perspective yeah. and um, get just a different feel for everything. Yeah, definitely. So let's move into the very beginning then. Let's start from the very beginning because it's a very good place to start. (laughs) So you grew up in the Netherlands. So what is theatre like in the Netherlands? Well, I mean, to be very honest, I don't think I was... I was exposed to more musicals. My uncle and my auntie were both in musicals um, than just straight up plays. I think I've only seen, embarrassingly, probably two plays while I lived in the Netherlands. I don't know if that's just because I, at that time, didn't wasn't interested or or wasn't exposed to it as much it's quite expensive I didn't know of any like small fringe or you know like pub theaters is not yeah. something we have so it was always the big productions that and I and as an 18 year old I couldn't afford 40 to 60 euros a ticket so I think one thing that the UK does really well is support for young people uh, when it comes to going to the theatre when you aren't as well off and I as far as I knew at that time we didn't have that in the Netherlands but it might be my lack of research as well. In terms of musicals and what musicals did you go see? Yeah all the musicals my auntie and my my uncle were in so uh, for a long time they did uh, they were resident actors at the Efteling which is um, like a theme park so a lot of it was Disney inspired so we went to see the little mermaid and they did one that was called the um, it was like a restoration play which has nothing to do with Disney but that was is one of my favorite I saw it's very comedy and out there but I've seen uh, Miserable was in my auntie was in that in the Dutch version and I mean but there's all... definitely a range of theatre that you've got there in terms of musicals from that, those big sort of Miserable and yeah uh, I don't know, Little Mermaid. Yeah. Quite a <laughs> contrast. Very, very different in sort of a vocal range there as well. Oh, yes. So with childhood, was there a ambition to take it towards being an actor? Yeah, definitely. I think I've, I've wanted to be an actor from a fairly young age, but I, I started auditioning for musicals when I was 11, I think, maybe a little bit younger, but um, my mum was a voice trainer and presenter. So she was kind of in the industry on the more camera side of things. So I think through through her, I met people and then things kind of started rolling, but I'm a very bad singer. So I don't know why I, aud- I auditioned for several musicals. It never went well, um, but yeah, I did anyway. So did you get very any? eager. 
Did you no, get any? No. no. Oh, okay. oh, God, no. I didn't even get past the, like, every time I had to sing, that would be the first round. And then they were like, yeah, not her. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, it's, in, it's, in, it's interesting there that you've got a lot of family members that are involved within sort of a performing arts sector. So mm-hmm. was it part of an integral part of your childhood there? Definitely. I think it, it was, I, I would, I definitely didn't have a show mum, but I, I had a yeah. mum who was very enthusiastic about everything and helped me a lot and still does actually. Um, she kind of puts herself forward as my uh, Dutch manager, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> Put some stress off me. But, you know, my, my dad's side of the family is, is not uh, particularly leaning towards that direction. But having, you know, being exposed to seeing your family members on stage, I think, has a massive impact on you as a child. You go, wow, someone can make their money being on stage, pretending to be a mermaid. That's amazing. So... Yeah. And then when did the sort of the training begin to start taking place then? Um, I I worked professionally back home for, for about four years, maybe. And, you know, I got some really nice jobs like TV and film. Um, mm-hmm. But I felt that the jobs I really wanted to get, like the, the, the indie films with some really interesting characters, I wasn't quite getting far enough in the audition process. So I came to realize like I need to step up and I need to do something to understand what I'm not, what, what I'm missing and what I can gain from training. Yeah. So I, I auditioned for a Dutch drama school. I had a very embarrassing audition, uh, but I misunderstood the brief and did something completely different from what they wanted. Yeah, I made quite the fool out of myself, so didn't get into <laughs> drama school then. Um, I forgive my 18-year-old self, though. I think I was just a, a bit too flustered about it all. And then I, at the same time, auditioned for a, um, a short course in London, kind of out of the blue. I, I didn't think I was going to get it, but I did. And then, yeah, and then moved to London in 2015. And then eventually, after I stuck about, I got into a three-year bachelor's. And where was that three-year bachelor's at? Uh, Central. And my my short course was at Central, um, yeah, Central School of Speech and Drama as well. So how was London life in comparison to the Netherlands? Tough, I'd say. Uh, Definitely my first six months I found really, really hard and lonely, cold because it was the winter. Um, And, you know, I found a job, which was great because that kind of formed a community. But in general, there is something about, you know, Amsterdam and the Netherlands because it's so small. You know anyone on any street and you bump into everyone and your parents are just around the corner and you're siblings are you know 15 minutes away where in London even if you made a friend the likelihood was that you had to travel about two hours to get to the south if you lived in the north so that was definitely something to get used to but I I don't know it's it sucks you in as well London it just kind of swallows you up and spits you out as well but yeah that that made me stay for five years I guess I mean the hustle and bustle some people love and some people hate I know mm-hmm. when I when I sort of lived in London and sort of go visiting I, I'm used to the hustle and bustle but there's other people that I know that can only stay a couple of hours and then that's their yeah. of it they, they can go home I think there's an ex- for me there was an expiry date to yeah London lifestyle and it, and it came around the corner maybe a little bit quicker than I expected. I mean, that that's the pandemic in a nutshell, isn't it? The, the, it pu- yeah. pushed the expiry date very much quickly. Yeah, London became a very scary idea all of a sudden. Yeah. What's Central like? How was your day-to-day activities at Central? You know, I think as, as maybe if listeners have 
no clue what drama school is like. I think the one thing how it's very different from other universities is just that it's really condensed. So, mm. you know, it's eight to six, like every day and you have to be in school on Saturdays sometimes. So you feel like you're in this weird kind of, you know, community with 18 other people in your class and you live, breathe, eat, cry, uh, mourn together at all times. So it's very a very intense environment. I chose to not live with other students. That was a, a conscious choice for me because I felt like it was important to be able to step away yeah. from it. So I lived in Stoke Newington, which was about a 35, 40 minute bike ride. So that was quite intense every morning, um, cycling through London <laughs> in whatever weather, but definitely kept me sane as well. I think that's really sort of an impactful point there that you chose to have time in, in, in sort of the, the drama school mode and then time outside of that. I think that's re- really interesting because not many people choose to do that. They choose to sort of be surrounded with it 24-7. Yeah, and I felt like I could step away from the drama because, you know, you're in drama school and the drama yeah. of personal lives seeps out as well. Yeah. You know, it's so intense that every single year... I, don't, I can't remember a year that didn't have internal drama, yeah. but because of living further away, I was able to kind of step away from that. But that yeah. also meant that I was a, excluded myself from certain friendships or um, like just gatherings and parties. So it, it came with massive benefits, but also with a few negative kind of elements to it. I mean, it also speaks of sort of a character that you have yourself. If if you're able to do that, if you you have the ability that you've got any strength that you're able to move away from certain situations. What was the one thing that impacted you the most while training at Central? Um, I love that question, by the way. Um, I think for me, looking back, because I was actually talking about this with my partner the other day, and the biggest thing I took away from it is learning how to be a child again. I think a massive part of drama school for me was letting go of a lot of uh, constraints I put on myself. Yeah, putting a wall around my own abilities and capacity and learning that I have and can do so much more than maybe I thought I could do. And the way I was able to connect to my body again, you know, in the end, as an actor, your body is your biggest instrument. And I think when you don't allow yourself to fully feel every part of yourself and, you know, find every type of energy and emotion within yourself, you quickly walk against some really thick walls. Um, And I found that quite quickly. I was, I was really hard on myself and and had some certain traumas that I couldn't quite work through and therefore was not breaking these barriers but then getting connecting to my my inner child changed everything and it's made me such a more relaxed and brighter person so that's one thing that I am I'm so grateful for and especially to my movement teacher uh, Vanessa Ewan in specific she uh, yeah she was absolutely incredible and she's changed my life so there's some really beautiful things that drama school has given me. Was there a particular module or a particular production that you did that really impacted there? Maybe not a specific module in, in movement classes mm. I think that really a, a journey throughout like I needed something from every kind of movement class but my third year in specific was like for me I was finally able to fly if I may say yeah. I kind of um, by letting go of the teachers and working with professional directors I suddenly realized 
that they trusted me to do the work and I was mm -hmm. able to do the work and I delivered so much better than I had done in the first and second year of drama school like I failed a lot in drama school like a lot so I think that's an important reminder for people who are in drama school just because you fail everything and you know in your first or second year does not mean you're a bad actor or it does not mean you're then not going to do well in your third year because I, I never got a lead part in first and second year and in and in third year I got two lead parts in both productions so you know things things change when you kind of start being nicer to yourself yeah I mean sometimes failure gives us our best lessons in life absolutely and we, and we learn the most from failure so sometimes mm -hmm. it's always good to fail what were those two productions that you were sort of leading um we did six degrees of separation uh where i got to play uiza which was an amazing part we took it to um barcelona as well for an arts festival wow um and that was uh yeah really really great uh jeff coleman was the director and i really enjoyed working with him and then the other production was um, Anatomy of a Suicide uh, by Alice Birch and um, Irina Brown was the director. Really a tough, tough yeah. woman, incredible director, but she worked a lot in Russia. So, you know, there was a, a, a different culture that came into play, which was amazing, but something to kind of get used to. And that was Anatomy of a Suicide was, I think, best work I, I got to do. And the play is incredibly complicated yeah. and difficult but probably for me uh best play i've ever been a part of or yeah. read to be honest i mean i remember sort of i was observing kata kata mitchell when she was doing the atomy suicide in germany oh right yeah so that that was really intense and it is really an intensive sort of play to do with the sort of mm -hmm. the, the set out on page how it is and sort of a set yeah. out on stage as well that really is a tricky mm -hmm. element to get your head around which, which role did you play in Atomy of Suicide? Um, I was Carol the the 1960s yeah. uh, mother and uh, character yeah so, yeah with the, for me like any so different from anything I'd ever done before yeah. but really really incredible and I think she's just a wonderful writer herself that's oh Alice yeah Birch with her mm -hmm. sort of body of work that she's done she's got that incredible mindset so then graduating uh, from university, when did you graduate? I graduated in 2019, if I'm correct. Um, yeah, June 2019, and then had the graduation party in December, yeah. I think. So ju just before the start of the pandemic started to take its toll then? <laughs> yeah, yeah, not the best time to graduate, no. not the best time to be a new actor to yeah. the industry, but oh well. So since graduating, how how's work been? How's finding the jobs? Um, I mean, I, I have an, an agent and I've got a voiceover agency, which is great. But in the end, I it didn't take off as maybe I'd like to, but I also wasn't expecting that either. Yeah. Um, I think I, I got some really nice voiceover jobs, which was great, but it didn't sustain. Like it comes every now and then, but I'm not, you know, getting sustained work. Yeah. And that's, you know, hard to come to terms with, especially when before I went to drama school, I, I worked a lot, a lot more. Yeah. So you're like, how did I do drama school and now have no jobs? And before I had all the jobs, but at the same time, it's just a matter of setting, not having any expectations and equally trying to accept the fact that you are in a cutthroat industry yeah and if you want to create and if you want to work you're just 
either going to have to create things yourself or get in touch with other people who are, you know, new to the industry or new writers, new producers, directors, create and put it on. But that's, yeah. it's, it takes a lot of mental and emotional capacity to also make that step to then, you know, have the energy after you work full time as well, because you have to pay the rent to then create a creative work. So it's not a, if you want an easy life, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, it's something that you're aiming towards with your career and something that you're passionate towards. So Absolutely. It, 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 it just takes time. And I think what's been the wonderful thing with sort of the guests that we've had on the podcast is a lot of them have been sort of those early stages in the career people who mm-hmm. have managed to navigate through the pandemic if they can and create some sort of work that's been wonderful to see and it just goes to show sort of the importance of the arts and how yeah. it, we, we've still managed to make work even though that we've been hitted against sort of unimaginable circumstance. Absolutely and also the the strength of coming together and there are a lot of people who have approached me or I've approached them and you know in the end there is work out there it's it might not seem that way but and it might not pay what you want it to pay but when it's your passion and when it's what you love it it doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. because it's and you know there is no um there is no kind of schedule to when it's all supposed to happen there is no all right 2020 I'm going to be on the Graham Norton show and then 2022 (laughs) I'm going to win a BAFTA you know that's not how it works and in the end one good advice again my movement teacher gave us at the time was some people won't get their first job in 10 years or 15 you know some people are still growing into the actor they're supposed to be it is not a rule of thumb that you finish drama school get an agent and get jobs that is just not going to happen some it will and that's amazing and for most it won't I mean that's something that I sort of mentioned last week on the podcast if people have that sort of 10 year goal where do they see themselves in 10 years and if that's Mm. sort of they can actually do that that's wonderful if you can but if you can't it's always nice to have sort of an envisionment of where you want to go so at least it points you in the right direction what is the biggest misunderstanding about your job well funnily enough um the other day one of my uh, uh managers we had a chat about drama school and about acting and um she does something completely different a very more academic and um she made a comment saying oh that actually sounds quite intelligent i i, I thought actors were just you know not that yeah and i just stood there thinking right oh that's how you think of me just not very bright and not very clever and just a bit of a bum you know a ditzy or whatever yeah. And uh, it kind of took me by surprise because I've mostly been surrounded by other creatives. And I think that's, I thought that was very interesting that people think when you're an actor, you don't think about what you do. You just do it. You get the script, you learn the lines and uh, you happen to be good at it. I don't, I, you know, I think a big misconception is that you train just like with any other profession, just like with any other trade, you get better in time and you get better with practice. Like it doesn't just miraculously happen. There are people who are naturally more gifted maybe, but in the end, I think it's really good to remember that you can get there with discipline and with training and with just doing it mm. and failing and then doing it again. Like I've done some horrible performances, absolutely horrendous. And yet, you know, I go, okay, that was bad. How can I learn from that? And how can I move beyond that? So I think it's, it's a big misconception to think actors are just 
ditzy people who rock up and and get lucky and get a lot of money it's very much not the case and yeah. I think most actors and creatives I know are the most intelligent people I know as well I mean definitely with the sort of people that I work with when it comes into full-scale productions you get a, like a little mini fact file of all the information that I need them to learn um, which is additional which not many people want to do but we've got to do <laughs> <laughs> what are you excited for about the future well kind of not acting related um me and my partner are buying a house so Ooh. I mean that is for me very exciting and big steps in life I am very excited to have a space that is my own where I can hopefully be more creative and have an actual room instead of you know living in a really really small flat and uh, I'm very excited to be able to maybe in two years time to rent out the house and travel for a year and uh, do lots of writing and lots of climbing and I'm hoping um, I was having a little chat with myself the other day to write something for the, either Manchester or Edinburgh Fringe mm. uh, for maybe 2022 so yeah Interesting. those are the things that I'm excited for. I mean, we've touched we touched base at the beginning, sort of a writing, but we've not really dissected it further. What interests you about writing? Um, I started writing in drama school. I kind of I kind of forced myself to write something for this project we were doing, and I just raised my hand and said, "I'll do it." Um, and I hadn't written anything, but I was mm. thought I should step out of my comfort zone and see what I can come up with. And since then, I've been I've been writing a lot of poetry, mostly spoken word, but also a lot of scenes and monologues and. I started writing a play and then got really overwhelmed by the logistics of it. So I think I'm going to have to sit down with that one a bit more and understand mm. that, again, writing a play does not just come to you. You have yeah. to study it as well. So, yeah, the writing is is not something I've you know gone to university for or, or done any courses for. But I think it's an incredible way of expressing images and turning it into something tangible that other people can take and form their own images with. Um, and their own meaning which I think is really um, liberating and um, quite exciting like it's an exciting thing to put something down and then go however you know someone else's interpretation might be very different and that's quite exciting. I mean I always like working with those type of writers that are sort of more open to interpretability towards their own pieces of work. There are some writers sort of have a real set vision of how the, the piece should be sort of written towards mm-hmm. and performed well then there's other writers that are more freedom based and they give you over the script and you're mm-hmm. able to explore further so that's really interesting that that's the type of writer that you are any recommendations for us today well this is a book i recommend quite regularly um it's called book of delights and it's by uh, ross gay he's this american poet and university lecturer if i'm correct and it's uh i think it's a really apt book for the current times and it's about appreciating the little things in life and um, kind of really beautifully written, uh, sometimes quite his thoughts are really long, which is really interesting because I have I write in short thoughts. So it's amazing to see that difference. But I think, yeah, his his book, it's very small. It's really happy. And I think we need more kind of uplifting things is um, I, it's something I really, yeah, really recommend. So get yourself the book of delights. Especially during this pandemic. 
and treat yourself to (laughs) an uplifting book at least (laughs) and then finally then the question that I'd like to ask all the guests that come onto the podcast is if you could talk to someone younger than yourself what message would you give them I thought about this just uh, before we started and um, I practice a lot of yoga and uh, meditation as well like yourself Mm. and the biggest message I always take from it is, uh, you know, you are exactly where you're supposed to be. Yeah. And I think, um, especially as my younger self, I, I always had these expectations of I wasn't at a point in my life and I was wanting myself to be somewhere else, not wanting to be where I was, meaning, you know, you you lose so much time through that because you're not taking in what's happening right in front of you and right in that yeah. moment. I mean, I think that's, it's a hard one to grasp and it took me, well, I'm still working on that. You know, that's a daily practice, but to trust that, oh, this is going to sound so wishy-washy, um, but it's very much for me, but maybe not for everyone. But I like to say, you know, I trust that the universe is for me and I am for the universe. And if you spread kindness and joy and, you know, are your authentic self, the good things will come to you. And I think that's just the biggest thing. Be a kind person, be chill, have fun. Don't take yourself too serious and allow yourself a bit more. Don't be too hard on yourself. I think life's too short to be hard on ourselves. So we have to trust Yeah, it's so hard. It's so hard. (laughs) Juliet, thank you for joining me today it's been really interesting talking to you thank you for having me guys thank you for joining us and we i shall see you on the next one take care